It is a joy to be with you. You have been uh, faithfully caring for us and supporting us over the last decade. And hopefully today you can see a small picture of some of the things that God is doing in Ukraine that should give you encouragement, not only for your local uh, mission, uh, not only for your mission throughout other states, uh, but for the globe. So I want to read a couple of texts that you're very familiar with. Uh, the first one is in Matthew 28, and let me read that for you. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus has gathered his disciples. These are the last words of the book of Matthew. So they seem to be focusing our attention on what Jesus wants us to do. And he says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is a very popular, no one is surprised by the reading of that text. Um, we all know the text, and throughout the year, different guys will teach on the text. The key there, Jesus is letting us know he is the authority, now and forever. He is about his business, and that is making disciples. And for those of us that are disciples, that process has not stopped. We are continually in need of transformation while we are engaged in God's mission. I want to read one more passage that Jesus said right before his ascension in Acts 1.8. Again, you know the text. Let me read it for you. Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Wilmington, and in all Judea and Samaria, Baltimore, and to the ends of the earth, Ukraine. Jesus is letting us know what it is that is his mission and what your role is in that, not only a beneficiary of grace and his goodness and his presence and his power, but being used for him to accomplish his mission. Today we have a unique opportunity to have a, a little bit different approach, and I'll try and paint for you a small picture of what God has done in Ukraine, and we can see what he is doing to not only accomplish his mission through his church, how he is transforming the missionaries and the Christians in Ukraine, but how he's reaching his people. So before we start that, let's pray. Father God, you are great and good and mighty. You speak things into existence. You know us by name. You have come to us in our sin, and you've transformed our hearts, and you've engaged us in the body of Christ. You've given us the power of your Spirit, and now you are using us to bring you glory in all areas of our lives, and you call us to make disciples of all nations. And we thank you for that. We pray that you will receive glory and honor in this time. In Christ's name, amen. 
around the time that people in the United States were signing the Declaration of Independence, my family uh, couldn't help but notice there was a, a small celebration a few days ago. Um, my children have been raised not in America, so this is their crash course in, uh, in hot dogs and, and other things. Uh, so, in uh, 1776, about the time we are signing, uh, or whoever was here was, was signing the Declaration of Independence, there was a young man in England who had recently been ordained, uh, and he was giving a small speech. He had been slightly discouraged that the church had no sense of foreign missions whatsoever or obligation, and so he stood up in a leader meeting and expressed his concern. An older gentleman responded this way, saying, young man, sit down. You're an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. Um, that man probably did not know he'd be going down in history uh, on the wrong side of this. Uh, but this young man's name was William Carey, which most of you are familiar with. Some consider him the father of modern missions. But the point is that he was dismayed at the lack of foreign missions interest in the church. So he went on to write a book entitled, uh, hold on for this one, An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathen, available on Amazon. No joke, it is available on Amazon. Now, the title is, is quite uh, uh, difficult. I think there's cliff notes that go with the title. But the point William Carey was making was that God is committed to reach the nations, and he's using us to reach the nations, and we ought to be about God's mission. How could the church get so off track that they lost the idea of foreign missions. The clear teachings of Christ that we read this morning, the teachings that he is making disciples of all nations, that we are disciples ourselves on a mission, is completely lost. It was covered or smothered by some other interest. The church at that time saw God's mission as an addition, as a bonus material. You could think of it as a phone case, not the phone, as a side mirror, not the engine of the car. But we know clearly through the text today and God's working throughout redemptive history that God's mission is central. He is seeking His people among all nations to bring them into His body for His glory. We can all get distracted from God's mission, not with bad things, probably with good things, probably things given from God. Our hearts can grow cold, we can grow distracted, and we can binge watch anything other than God doing His mission. But while we may falter, while we may get distracted, God is steady, God is faithful, and He is good good to keep His promises. The good news is God doesn't wait for His mission to be trending. He doesn't wait for it to be popular. He is steady and faithful to reach His people. 
and he's gracious enough to us to catch us up in his mission, to sometimes drag us into his mission so that we are not only the beneficiaries of his grace, but the beneficiaries of the advancement of the kingdom. So today we want to look at a, a few stories of how God has been faithful to his promises in Ukraine amidst the collapsing of the Soviet Union, up to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and the subsequent war that continues to be waged. And I hope we will see today that God has been faithful to his promise, to his mission, to reach his people, and to the church to strengthen it through his mission. Now, in fairness to you guys, uh, before we start talking about Ukraine, it's okay if you don't exactly know where it is. Um, that's why we have thoughtfully given you this. So this will allow you to be reminded of a few of the contextual issues related to Ukraine. Uh, as you'll notice here, Ukraine is in Europe. It's at the geographic center of Europe. On the east side, you have Russia, and un unfortunately or fortunately, by God's grace, between Russia and everything else, you have Ukraine bordered on the west with Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, and to the south, Romania and Moldova. The key points, if you don't remember anything else about Ukraine today, and I, there will not be a test, but if you, if, if you walk away from here, what about Ukraine? Hopefully you think of the people, obviously, but, but the facts, Ukraine is not Russia. There's been slight confusion uh, globally by some nations and people. Ukraine is a separate country distinct from Russia. The other thing, uh, and point of interest, is it's not Siberia. We don't all wear uh, furry hats. I know that comes to people's mind. Someone asked me if they had trees there. Um, it is not necessarily freezing cold all the time. It's on latitude with southern Germany, if that helps, uh, or the, the Canadian-U.S. border. The country achieved its independence in 1991. It's roughly the size of Texas with a population of 44 million. Now, the collapse of the Soviet Union happened at the end of the 90s, and Ukraine gained independence in 91. The government of Ukraine invited people in to teach morals and ethics in their schools. Mission to the World, the sending agency of the Presbyterian Church in America, sent a team in in 1993 to be a part of the commission. I was sent over in 1994 um, to be a part of that in Ukraine. And then they followed up this team with a church planting team in 1995. That resulted in, maybe despite the missionary efforts, but because of the grace of God, a first for MTW, and that was the planting of a denomination. The Evangelical Presbyterian Church of Ukraine was formed in 1996. So it is a separate, autonomous, uh, Ukrainian-run church uh, that was planted by the missionaries. Now you can see on this uh, handout with these cutting-edge graphics <laughs> that I'm personally responsible for, um, these red dots across the country represent churches or church plants that are in the denomination now. So the, the far west, you'll see the red dot in Lviv. That's where Masha and I are currently serving for the last decade. You'll see further down the bottom of the map a kind of a grouping of red dots. One of those cities is Odessa on the Black Sea. 
That's where Masha is from. You'll be able to hear more from her I don't know, between the services or, or later at lunch about her upbringing, but she was raised behind the, uh, the Iron Curtain. And then as, as it collapsed and things got difficult, uh, going to university, she got engaged with some students that were part of the university ministry, and God transformed her heart in 1996 um, and became a follower of Christ. So Masha is a native Russian speaker in Ukraine. Um, and so half the country of Ukraine speaks Russian, but it does not mean they identify with Moscow. The other half of the country speaks Ukrainian. And so it's one country, but with two languages. That previously was used to try and divide the country. I think uh, uh, Putin had in his mind that people would identify with the Soviet Union in Moscow uh, as he's tried to interfere with Ukraine. But in the last election, uh, the, the president carried every single state. And it seemed like a referendum on, is Ukraine a country or not? regardless of ethnicity, regardless of your language, and Ukraine solidified uh, around uh, the, uh, the idea that no matter the language, we are Ukrainian. And so that has happened. So the denomination uh, that exists now, the Ukrainians want to continue to plant other churches. They approached me and one other family to plant a church on their behalf. The Western part of the country is Ukrainian speaking, and Lviv is the key city in the western region. And so we went 10 years ago to serve in that city with another family. The other family is Anya, who's from central and east uh, central Ukraine, and then Hero Hakabord, who is South African. So we have two Russian-speaking Ukrainians, a South African and a Texan, going to the Ukrainian-speaking part of Lviv and, uh, that we've never uh, been to before. So God does have a sense of humor um, and is committed to do his work uh, despite his people, it seems. So Lviv, just so you can have an idea of what the city's like, it's just under a million people. It's about an 800-year-old city. Uh, just under a million people, but it is the, uh, the trade hub. Uh, it also is a medical hub. Uh, but even more importantly, it's the educational hub. It has over between 100 and 125,000 students in the city. Uh, and so that presents us an opportunity. How do you plan a church when you don't know anyone? And, thank you very much, as you send us over to be missionaries, you're basically saying, go over there to start a church. While we have absolutely no power for people to be converted and no way to form the church, God has to do it all. So we go over feeling terribly inadequate and hoping God does something. Uh, the good news is God is uh, faithful to that. As we thought about how to reach this city, it made a lot of sense to work with students, students who were the future leaders of the church, students who were making big decisions at that point in their life, and we had, we had had history with working with students. One of the things that all the students desire now is English language. And so our uh, desire was to provide them with high-quality English language teaching, uh, but also if we're going to have discussions, we're going to use the Bible as a part of that. And so we have a one-week English camp that happens in the mountains where we live all together, and this kind of huts up in the, in the mountains, where we teach high-level English. We tell them beforehand 
that we'll be reading the Bible, and they have to discuss uh, the Bible. They have to give their thoughts on it. And that is a unique thing that's, that's happening in Ukraine. When a student finds out that their opinion is valued, that they have a place to articulate their ideas, even if they're half-baked or half-formed. And so we try to create that atmosphere in the camp where people are forced to articulate what they say they believe, but also have the freedom to engage with other ideas. While that is important, and the music is important, and the games are important, them interacting with the Bible is one of the keys. The other one is that we get to live together for a week in the mountains. It's one thing to talk about the Bible and who God is. It's another thing to live as a community and start trying to express that um, in some way, shape, or form. And so that is what we strive to do is live with the Ukrainian students for a week. It forces the students not only to engage with the words on the page, but also engage with why are these people different? Are the Americans different just because of a cultural difference? Are the Ukrainians different that are there helping at the camp? because they've interacted with a cultural difference? Or is there something to this community of people that say they follow Christ and then let God work through uh, their heart issue? Today, I mean, literally today, at this time, Ukraine is seven hours ahead. They are kicking off the week-long camp in the Carpathian Mountains, where 60 students and about 20 helpers will, will live together for a week. So that's going on as we speak. As you have these conference, the, uh, the conferences or you have camps, events, those are great moments for discussions. Uh, but as you know, you have to be in a community over a long period of time. So there are different groups you can be involved in when you return. Um, the, uh, I want to tell you a story about one girl. We'll call her Oksana. And she came to the camp in 2008, our very first camp along with her gang of friends. Now, when I say gang of friends, I don't mean a gang of friends. I probably use a different word. Her cohort. Um, okay, let's just stick with gang. Uh, today, um, okay, so after the camp, students could be engaged in different things. In English club, you could be engaged in uh, Bible study. One of the things that Mosh and I did at our house is we opened our home to the students. They could come every other Friday, and we would watch a movie together. And so the, the idea was all the students would bring some kind of food. We would all cut it up, prepare it together, watch a film, and then we could discuss the film itself. What, what, what is the, the author trying to say with the story? What's happening with the characters? Is this true to life or not? And as the students engage with it, the question is, well, how are you saying what is true or not? And that allows us to say, it, it's not my opinion. It seems God has said these things in his word. Based on that, we can analyze what's going on while the students can wrestle with what is their foundation for truth. So we have that every other week. So that's going on in the house. And uh, at one of these events, there are about 25 people there, and many people are in the kitchen preparing food. And... Uh, the girls are lined up chopping stuff. Guys are moving stuff, kind of doing whatever the girls tell them. And a glass bowl or glass something, I don't remember, fell off the counter and uh, lost a brief battle to the floor tile. And so glass went a thousand different directions. With a, a horrific noise, 
uh, and commotion. And so really without stopping, uh, I said, Masha, uh, my, my wife is Masha, by the way. Masha, don't worry about it. I'll clean it up, and we'll just continue preparing. Just a nothing event as far as we were concerned. Oksana would later tell us that that event was one of the key moments God used in her life. Uh, now, this is due to the fact that Oksana was raised in a family that was ver verbally abusive, uh, and in this house, her father would daily yell at her mother or her, and if there was any small infraction, it was met with a great fury and then a tirade on the worthlessness of Oksana today and her worthlessness forever. And so us inadvertently um, destroying stuff in our kitchen and me responding with uh, in her in her eyes, gentleness and kindness with, don't worry about it, I'll clean it up, and we kept moving, it had a big impact on her. Now, we had been reading about God's love and gentleness and kindness. We'd been reading about biblical marriage and healthy relationships. But for her, it wasn't until she saw that interaction modeled in front of her that all the pieces started to come together doesn't mean that Masha and I are perfect in our marriage. Actually, it's, uh, it's far from that. Uh, but what we could model was a family that actually had Christ at the center, not our opinions. And so we had a reason to be gracious because our Father was gracious with us, and that had a profound impact uh, on Oksana that she would tell us later. Um, one of the keys to this uh, one of the keys to God advancing his mission that we've learned that's written right there in Scripture, so it should be obvious, is that God advances his mission through hospitality. So on our team, we often encourage each other with having an open home and an open life so we can invite people into our lives and spend time together. It's messy. I'm not talking about entertaining if we entertained, I can suck it up and I can do anything for about three hours. You know, you can hold off and how much longer is this going? You know what I'm talking about. You have people over and you're like, okay, I can do this. Uh, I'm, ta I'm not talking about that because you can do that without any Holy Spirit. I'm talking about opening up your life and your home to people to acknowledge that you're a little bit of a mess and inviting people to bring their mess in and living together. Not to fix it today, but to live together. And so that's one of the things we've been committed to. And uh, that commitment means, and I think it's valuable here, it's not any different in the States uh, than in Ukraine, to give people the luxury of face-to-face -face time, to give them non-anxious and unhurried time, and as a bonus, you can do it over a meal. It creates space for us to wrestle through what it means to follow Christ and to articulate to others what that, what that may mean in life. And as you know, most of the times, the big conversations and big decisions don't come because people call you and say, let's meet, I want to make a big decision. They happen on the margins of life. They happen as you do something else. As this group goes to Baltimore, you will do great things. You will do something you can physically see. That's awesome when you can do that. But a lot of the work God does, he doesn't tell us what it is. But occasionally he will give us insight that he is doing work. 
relational work in people's hearts. And so while your task is important, what will happen even more importantly is God is using you as a community to show care, kindness, to open up your life, and engage to listen and care to other people's lives. That will be a way that we demonstrate the message of the gospel just as much as hopefully we can articulate the message of the gospel. That is how God has advanced his mission throughout time and will continue to do it. And hopefully that's an encouragement to you uh, who are opening your lives and your homes. And it is messy and there is no end, but keep it up. God is faithful to accomplish his mission. Now, one of the things that happened after these camps is there were small group Bible studies. Uh, one of the keys is to engage people in face-to-face interacting with what Christ said. One of the girls approached, whose name is Anya, approached Masha and said, look, I don't know anything about the Bible. Could you teach me a few things? Masha said, sure. Gathered a few girls together. Oksana was one of them. This group of five girls came together for a Bible study. And Anya's first question, her, her driving question to Masha was, can you tell me if babies can see angels? And Masha said, excuse me. She said, yeah, I've heard that babies see angels. Is that true? Masha was able to, in a very, um, uh, well, in, in a very exciting way, address that issue, which seems to be a little bit of a peripheral issue with respect to the New Testament, uh, but could confirm to her that God cares enough about us to speak clearly about the things that we need to know about. And so Masha was able to lead the girls through different New Testament books and lead these girls into understanding that Jesus actually walked on the earth. He actually said things. And the audience had to decide, were his claims true or not? Will we follow this man or will we reject him? And oftentimes people rejected him. And these girls realized that Peter and Paul were not brothers. They, did, they had never read uh, the New Testament themselves. God advances his mission through his word, which is powerful and active. And so it is a central piece of the mission work. Now, it probably is helpful at this point to remind you of our religious context. Uh, and I'm going to not do it justice, but for the sake of brevity, in our part of the world, in our specific city, in the 16th century, the Eastern Orthodox Church said they would submit to the Pope if they could keep their liturgy, kind of the internal workings. It's a gross oversimplification. Um, but that created the Uniate Church, the Greek Catholic Church. It's neither Greek nor Catholic. But in our city, one of the Uniate Churches is, in, is based in our in our city. What that means for us is there are excellent bridges that are already there. People believe they're Christians because to be Ukrainian is to be Greek Catholic. To be Greek Catholic is to be baptized. To be baptized means you're a Christian. I've said. So people believe themselves to be Christian. They have great respect for the Bible, though they don't read it. It's for the priest, it's kind of a spiritual book. We live out here in kind of the dirty world, but there's the holy, holy spiritual stuff over there. They believe that the church is important. They think of it as a building. They think of it as a holy space. Um, but they respect the idea of the church. And finally, they believe in the Trinity, but have difficulty articulating it. So that allows us to bring the Bible and say, let's read this Bible that you respect. 
It allows us to differentiate ourselves from the cults, which are absolutely everywhere like ants, the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, who cannot say they believe in the Trinity. And we can start talking about the true church, which is people and community, community that we desperately need, and at the same time, we desperately don't want to interact with all these people that aren't like us. But, but you have been given a gift to work in the church, and you have to use it. And that is how God cares for us. So those are the natural bridges we're able uh, to lay out. And that is an oversimplification of our context. So as these many small groups started... That's great. But how do you take these small groups into an actual church plant? Now, I should probably know that, but it's a daunting task. I don't know what's going on. I would like to say through our rigorous language study, through our deep research, and through our vigorous mission activity, a church has been planted. However, uh, the story went a little bit different. We got contacted through email by a guy. We had a meeting with him, and he said, I was online and I found Calvin's Institutes. I read them, okay, all of them. I think there needs to be a reform. This is a Greek Catholic guy. I think there needs to be a reformed church in Lviv. Are you guys doing anything? I said, well, well, we'll talk about it. We'll make some decisions. But needless to say, this man, his brother and his family, another friend and that family and another friend all came and sought us out which began the core group of the church plant. Now, as you go to Baltimore, I think this is, this is how God works. I think we might overthink it a bit sometimes because we want to know absolutely everything all the time. God, what are you doing? What does this mean? And how does this revolve around me? As you go to Baltimore, the thing that we know is God is already at work. God was at work in Ukraine far before any of us got interested. God has been at work in Baltimore and is at work before you get there. We get to hop on to God's mission in Baltimore, and you'll hop off. But God is faithful and will continue it. We can go forward, and I like that you named the church after this, with faith that God will accomplish his promises. We're all facing different, different difficulties, be they medical, be they family, be they job-related, be they anxieties related to who knows what. And we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but God does, and he cares. Cares enough to call you by name, to change your heart. And he promises you this week, he's already there. He's taking care of it. Maybe not like we want, but like what we need. And this is temporary, and soon he's returning. So that was a great benefit for us, instant kind of church plant uh, that started. And uh, the, the challenge was, I'm uh, the leader of the team. We have six families on our mission team, 10 children under 13. So we've got noise, uh, and we have our own covenant children. How do we take care of them? And so in dealing with our own age and stage, uh, we had to care for the children. But Masha, the other Ukrainian women, uh, uh, kind of reflect a dynamic that's taking place within the Presbyterian Church of Ukraine, and that is that they're first-generation believers, not raised in the church, never been to Sunday school, don't know what a VBS is, and so, what are we supposed to do? God and His faithfulness has provided just the right gifted women and men in the church. Masha and the women gathered materials, translated them into Ukrainian, started Sunday school for our own children, and uh, a dynamic is at play in Ukraine. There are a few things in life 
that force you to your knees in humility and have you cry out to God. They could be great illness. They could be crisis. Usually it's having children. Um, having children and as they grow older is the most humbling effect that drives you outside of yourself because there, there's no parenting by numbers book. So a lot of our Ukrainian friends desperately love their children, want their children to be moral, but also have no idea what to do. And so they're willing to give the children over to Masha to do some kind of religious stuff to them, teach them religious stuff so hopefully something will happen. And so because of that, and Masha will tell some stories later in some events of how that came about, but now we've been able to have VBS for multiple years, between 30 and 40 children come, we can hear about, the kids can hear about the gospel, parents can see it, and most importantly know that nothing gets fixed in a week. The parents have sin issues, the kid have sin issues, it's a long-term process of dealing, it, dealing with it, but there is hope. And so that is one of the things that's gone on. Because of that, we've had to translate materials for our church plant and future church plants. We have children's song materials for catechism, a few of the stories uh, that go on. I want to close by telling a story about Oksana that I mentioned earlier. Um, she uh, was planning on going to Poland to work and had been wrestling with, what is this Christianity, but also I've got to take care of myself. There's some distant boyfriend who's kind of out there in Poland. And in the midst of these plans, she falls and breaks her leg and is laid up in the house and can't, can't move uh, at all, and she lives with her mother. And so it was in the midst of this crisis that the Christians in the church were just being Christians. Um, and so they were visiting her, providing care for her. Some people went around and actually found crutches. It's kind of a little bit hard to live there. Found crutches, and her regular gang of friends were nowhere to be found. And it was through this time of, and it's not monumental conversations, it's just showing care and kindness and intentionality that in Oksana's mind, there was a, a stark differentia differentiation between her previous friends that liked her if they did, if she did what they wanted, versus these Christians that seemed to be giving her things without any strings attached. And that began to transform, transform her understanding of what this community of believers was. But even more importantly, the mother was watching as well um, because a lot of decisions are made as a family. And the mom didn't know who we were. Are we a cult? What are we? But through this experience, the mother could say, I don't exactly know who you are, but I know you love my daughter, and that's the most important thing. And so it was through that trial where, where, this, where, where Oksana had to decide Am I going to be a disciple of Christ and follow him or my friends? Am I going to make my broader family happy or follow Christ? Am I going to follow the cultural norms or am I going to pursue Christ and whatever that means? And God, in his graciousness and kindness, transformed her heart and she became a follower of Christ. It hasn't been easy. It's not easy for any of us. God is making us more like Christ all the time. But God provided her with a Christian husband, and now she uh, is in the church leading the new teen ministry to the next generation. That is a small story of many stories 
that it's Oksana-specific, but it's God-centered. That is what our God does. He seeks and finds his people wherever they are. He gives them what they don't deserve, gives them the power to obey and follow, and engages them, wraps them up in his mission to reach his people here and to the ends of the earth. There are other issues related to the war that we can't get into. We have had 10,000 people die in the last three years in a war. We've been invaded by Russia. I cannot explain to you the anxiety, the confusion, and the exhaustion that that has created. Not knowing if you're going to wake up and evacuate or if you're going to stay and live in peace. It made us question and wonder, is this message worth dying for? Or do we leave? In the midst of those struggles, God always provides enough. Not enough for the whole time, but enough for the day. And even in those circumstances of crisis and death, God has been advancing his church. Even in our little city, which is a small picture of God's work, we've gained several families who were displaced in the war, and we've seen people locally who have never prayed in their lives want to pray with Masha because they sense what we have here is fragile and temporary. Where is this story going long term? And if anyone has the message of hope for that conversation, it is us because of who Christ is. Remember that as you go to Baltimore. You go as someone who's been made a disciple, but someone that also brings the message. You're not bringing it. God's already there, but you get to demonstrate it. God may or may not allow you to see how he's advancing his mission. So despite what we see, we can praise and glorify his name for what he does. For he is holy, he is good, and he should be glorified. And as we wait, we can take joy in the fact that he's coming again soon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are gracious, kind, and holy. You did not leave us in our sin, but you pursued us. You showed us our sin, and then you gave us Christ's payment. You've given us your spirit so we can live. We have so many challenges and issues and anxieties and problems, but you know them, you care. Give us great faith and trust to follow you. Help us to come to you. Use us as a community in this city to demonstrate your grace and goodness, we pray, that all these things will be done for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.